I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. So, we are welcoming back a very special guest host today, Phil Stigal, all the way from Oklahoma, who has been a fan of Mid-South Wrestling since the very start, and even as far back as Tri-State Wrestling in the Oklahoma area. Crikey, that's a good start. Uh, Phil, how are you doing today? Doing very well, and uh, it's really a pleasure for you to have me back. I I, uh, enjoyed doing our podcast, but uh, listening to the guests you've had since then, all your podcasts have been excellent. I've really enjoyed all your guest hosts and looking forward to more. I hope you have them all back again. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the, that's the plan, um, to, to really try and drill down in some of these episodes in a little bit more, um, maybe, maybe some of the characters and stuff in a little bit more detail. Um, but before we move on to um, wrestling, I just wanted to, I mean, obviously, we're, we're recording this on Saturday, March 28th, so... Um, obviously, everything around the world is pretty fast moving at the moment. So, um, how are things? How are things there with you? Um, what, what, what's what's some of the changes you've had to make since this all began um, a few weeks back? Well, we, uh, you know, each state has a, a governor, and they really get to make the call on what help what happens in each individual state. And some some of the larger city uh, mayors, when I say a larger city, like just South Oklahoma City, is town of Norman, about a hundred thousand folks, and they were taking they were taking action before the state was on what restaurants could be open or how many people could congregate together. Um, so, uh, just with, since the last time you and I talked, matter of fact, just about less than a week ago, our governor went ahead and said, you know, go ahead and eliminate as much. Okay. Called it his, his, it's called safer at home initiative. So mm. all non-essential services, uh, don't go to work stay at home, restaurants uh, limited to drive-throughs, yeah, but, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So um, it has stopped, you know, people from congregating at, at bars and clubs and sporting events and, and like we'd all had, had seen pretty much. Um, I'm in a financial services industry. And we move oh, me much. too. Me too, Phil. We, yeah, we'll have, we'll have a, maybe we'll have a chat about that, that off the... Uh, off air, sure. that, that's interesting. So you're you're carrying. So I guess presumably you're having a lot of inquiries and carrying on. I guess in terms of what yeah. you're what you're doing. So yeah, I, yeah. So I still commute to and from work every day, and also it requires me to run to several different banks or other places. And I don't, you know, there's less folks on the road, but there's sure still a lot of people getting out. You know, they're yeah, if yeah. They're traveling. They're just not meeting in groups, I suppose, and everybody's maintaining their distances. So life is a it's slightly different. It's just a slight inconvenience for me and my family at this point. But yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like you guys might be uh, maybe a couple, probably about a couple of weeks behind where we were when actually sure. um, some, some some companies will start to make steps to um, you know try and work from home if you can. It's not essential, etc. Um, but then we we obviously went into complete lockdown at the, at the start of last yeah. week. Um, yep. And uh, yeah, as we talked about, obviously Boris Johnson um, has now got it as well. So it's, um, all that yesterday, yes, sir. Yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, it's um, it's pretty nuts. I think unfortunately here, um, because London is very densely populated. I mean, not the most, not like a Mexico City or something, but it's a very de- densely populated city. And what we're finding is everything that was happening two weeks ago. So when we still had big sporting gatherings, we had a. Um, I guess it's probably is the Kentucky Derby. Uh, um, is that flat racing or is that uh, over hurdles? You know. 
if you no, know, no. if you're in Kentucky Derby is like a two and a, a what is it a two mile track around it's it's not hurdles no and not hurdles okay so the so the main famous sort of hurdle racing meet in the UK which gets about two hundred fifty thousand people at it over four days Cheltenham Festival that went ahead two just so it finished two weeks ago yesterday so all of those people one of my friends that at it has had well presumably had the illness obviously no one can get really get tested um right. so it's right. just a bit nuts really and we, we we're not allowed so at the moment here in london you're not allowed to have social gathering with anyone outside your household basically so you're you where anyone that's outside of your household you can't come within two meters of um right. yeah so it's it's pretty crazy but um yeah i mean i hope i hope you guys i mean i guess it is it is vastly different in the states because obviously state to state and every state is very like well New York, that, yeah in, very different isn't it in oklahoma Excuse me. The entire state of Oklahoma, the entire population is about three million. Okay? Yeah. The the city of Oklahoma City, although it's about a million, we're greatly spread out. I mean, yeah, city yeah. 40, 50 miles across. So we have pockets like we do have a downtown area, but maybe that's 20, 25 large buildings. And by large, I'm talking 25 to 50 stores, not anything like you mm. see major cities we have no subways um, yeah that's such a big thing that's the, such, a, such a major thing for protecting people not having to travel on that people don't really use the buses like they do I, i've often over the years wondered how the buses i'd see a bus go by and there's two people on it three people on it you know mm. they just it was just it, you know we travel so far many people live 30 miles from oklahoma city but they that's where they work and, and that's yeah yeah. Going to drive all the way to the parking lot. You know? So and actually, people in cars is is relatively safe. If you're in your own car, you're you're about as safe as it can be in that in that environment, really. So that that does make a big difference. Sure. So we don't have people like you said. The subway can be uh, a very bad place to be at a time like that. And yeah. So it's very different. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I usually so my journey to work usually is about an hour and about 25 minutes of that is driving to the one of the southernmost sort of tube stations we call it here. It's a subway basically. But so that that other 20 minutes, 25 minutes is on that. And I haven't thankfully I've not been on it for about probably about two and a half weeks now. But the last few days of that was was pretty harrowing. And you are by the time I, I get off probably about halfway into central London, so halfway into the city. Right. Uh, but you, you can barely get off the tube. It's so busy where I get off. Um, so that's, I mean, you are up in people's faces and you're standing as close oh, as you can possibly sure. imagine. So it's just horrendous. But anyway, let, I tell you what, um, let's move away from COVID-19. Let's talk wrestling. So since we last spoke, um, I know I was carrying on watching some of the Mid- Mid-South uh, episodes. I just wonder if there's anything else that's sort of caught your eye in that time or um, anything else that's, that's, uh, that you, that's caught your interest, really, I suppose. I, I noticed something as I was previewing the episodes this week, went back and looked, and we're going to do, you know, episode 240 today, and they reshow a run-in that happened, oh, on 238 or 239, where Hacksaw Dugan is wrestling uh, Volkov, and the Russians run in. There's a masked Russian. Yes. Yeah. And I saw that, I'm thinking, I don't remember him seeing him ever again and i'm looking at the body type trying to figure out uh, who it might be they didn't name him they ross and we'll see it happens again in this episode because they're reviewing a lot of 240 is reviewing what happened obviously the past couple of weeks yes 
Yeah. And, and so he's reviewing. So we're bringing it up. It's already happened, but it's going to happen again in this episode. And so I wasn't. I couldn't figure out who that was. So I actually sent a message to one of the previous guests, uh, Al. Al oh yes. Yeah. 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 Right. Man, that man's just a wealth of knowledge. You know, the only thing I bring to this conversation is I lived through it when it happened. I don't have any. Which is that? I mean, that, that is. A, do you know? And, and you feel you shouldn't. You shouldn't do yourself a disservice there because that is um, the, the feedback and stuff I've, I've got in terms of actually. I think it's very unique now for someone to, to be around the right age. Because when you're the age that you were going through a lot of this, you remember a lot of stuff. I think that really, really helps. So if someone, if someone said to me in 20 years' time, can you do a WWE podcast from 2014 or 15? I wouldn't be able to remember any of that. And I've only just, just watched it. But if you said to me, oh, can you tell me what was happening in 1990, WF or 91? I'd be like, yeah, no, absolutely. I can remember all the angles. I can remember exactly like it was yesterday. So right. um, I think it's great, it's great, it's great that you're, you're, you live through it at the time, especially sort of in the younger years where these, these things do resonate and they do stay with you for a long time. So, yeah, sorry, right. you were looking at this, this Russian invader character with the, with the mask. Right. Couldn't figure out who it was. So I, I don't ever remember seeing him again. I certainly never saw him at a house show I went to. I don't. Just songs, man. Who was that? I don't remember. So I wrote Al uh, Getz. Is it Al Getz? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And he's the one that runs Charging the Territories. Give me a little plug there because I really like what he's doing. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, his work is phenomenal. It really is. So I um, wrote to him, and he wrote back. He believes it's someone by the name of Jerry Novak who was part yes. of part of the bounty. Yep. Is that correct? Um, yeah, I tell you what, it's a really good, good um, Al's, it's, it's excellent, I think some of his stuff is a little bit behind where we are in terms of um, the years, but a really good resource I found for later stuff, um, which is not um, not so good some some of the older 70s stuff, but cagematch.net, um, so that, that has a lot of listings, and, and for a wrestler, um, like uh, we go, not to shoot too far forward, but the characters introduced as a new Mr. Wrestling too. I didn't know who that was, and you're able to work it out from there and they show the, the, a lot of career matches for these guys but I don't think it's Jerry Novak I think he appeared on the Superdome show and that was it um, after after this one that we're going to talk about okay 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 that's interesting I was looking at him trying to figure out who that might have been because yeah I know Jeff makes a he's about the size of a Steve Williams trying to and I know Steve Williams is going to make a comeback in appearance Soon. Yeah, he's been conspicuous by his absence for quite a long time. I mean, I can't remember when the last time he was on. It's, it's quite a quite a what? Maybe a lost to Volkov, perhaps, or or maybe Crush Khrushchev at the time. But yeah, it's been it's been a while, hasn't it? Is it uh, again just going back? Just simply my memory here is because he was uh, playing professional football for the USFL. Yeah, I believe that's right. Yeah, yeah, that that is right. Absolutely. Okay. Because right. they were talking about what he was going to pick out of college, right? I think there was the segment with Jim Ross and um, uh, now, Dr. Death doing the various training stuff, and he was talking about whether he's going to be into football or whether he's going to go pro wrestling. But I think they said, "Oh, we hope he goes the pro wrestling route." I don't I, I, actually. I don't know what happened. What happened with his football, football career? Do you, do you know? Uh, in terms, because he made his way back to wrestling. I'm not sure how it finished playing out in the USL, other than I know that the USFL you know, didn't survive. It collapsed after just a year or two, like so many of those leagues that try to compete compete with the NFL. And yeah. I couldn't make a roster on the NFL. I can I can certainly find out because Steve was already a popular football player here in Oklahoma. Before he ever wrestled, I had seen him in person. Okay, in several times. We've had seen him. We'd go to the wrestling matches at 
the University of Oklahoma, where he was a heavyweight that was absolutely dominating the nation in wrestling. But he's also played uh, on the offensive line in American football for uh, Coach Barry Switzer here. And so he was uh, he was already a, a popular person in Oklahoma. Now, there's a backstory going around. And, and I don't know if this is true or not, but what we're all saying as teenagers, this is what we had heard. Because here, you know, the NCAA, the, the, the organization that governs uh, the amateur athletes, you absolutely cannot get any form of payment. Uh, you know, uh, Barry Switzer one time got in trouble for giving a track athlete a bus ticket home for the, for the holidays. Wow, okay. So it's pretty serious, taken seriously. Very, very, very strange. It wasn't even an athlete that he coached. Um, this was a female track star and he coached football. So things like that could get you in trouble. Uh, mm. Fans, I mean, if, you know, if you did a handshake giving a guy a $100, $20 bill, um, you could damage the entire university. So the backstory was Steve, when he was, and he did wrestle as professionally, while still an amateur football player, but not an amateur wrestler. He had a fifth year in football. The backstory going around, the rumors, don't know that if this was ever addressed on television, was that while he was a college wrestler, he also wrestled under a mask as Dr. Dev. And nobody knew it was Steve Williams, supposedly. Ah, uh, okay. So that's why we call him Dr. Dev Steve Williams because we believe he had operated under a mask as Dr. Death to hide his identity so he could draw a paycheck as a professional. This is all the K-Page stories, you know, draw a paycheck as a professional, still, amateur, still wrestle as an amateur. have no idea if that really happened, if he got a mask, or if he ever did wrestle with a mask. That's the legend of Steve Williams in a I mean, in, I'm just looking at his Wikipedia page, and it looked like he started wrestling in '82. Um, whereas he, he, it says here he was selected by the New Jersey Generals of the uh, in the 1983 USFL territorial draft. So it sounds to me like he, he that, that may well be correct that he was. He, this was this was a, a year or so. I guess he would have been. Would he have finished college the springtime before '83 then, presumably? So it sounds like there was some crossover there. Oh, there's definitely some crossover. We know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he, without a match, there's some crossover because they determined that he could play football as an amateur and then wrestle as a professional. Okay. No, that's, that's great. So on, on his um, on his uh, football career, it says that he signed with the Generals on the January 31st, just prior to the opening of training camp. Um, he was converted to defensive tackle um, and he was a teammate of Herschel Walker, who later fought in either Bellator or Elite XC, maybe both. Um during camp, Williams suffered a bruise knee and was placed on the injured reserve uh, list for the first six games of the Generals' 83 season. Um, he came back in week 10 uh, and he started as no tackle for the Generals against, uh, at Giant Stadium. Doesn't say they were against, actually. Um, the, oh, no, sorry, versus the Birmingham Stallions. So he was playing for the New Jersey Generals at right. Giant Stadium. Uh, but that appears to be, he played the following week um, in a loss to the Michigan Panthers, and then that was it by the, by the sounds of things. So it's, it seems to me that he's. His USFL run was was somewhat hampered by um, hampered by injury, um, and they did. They, I think they went through to '86 by the looks of things. But um, oh, actually, hold on. In September '93, the New Jersey Generals were sold to real estate magnate Donald Trump. So I don't know. I mean, I presume they carried on, but yeah, that's um, so. The, yeah, so 
there hasn't so was it not was has there been a proper spring football league from the USFL to the XFL days? Was there anything else that was was attempted during that time? Was there anything attempted? You're saying for for pro, pro, I'm just interested for pro football because obviously there's a they, they just tried it again with the XFL, but their season to be cut short because of um, right. the right. coronavirus. Right. Stuff. So I just wondered, does, that, does anyone else had had a go at it? Uh, the XFL, I think, was good, but you know, last year there was another league, the AAF, tried, yeah, tried yeah. the same thing, and uh, they they quit in the middle of the season. Now I'm such an American football fan that I watched all the games and I was uh, caught up in it, wagering yeah. on, but uh, and I was enjoying the XFL even more. But uh, hopefully they can make it come back. But in over the years, there's been a few startup leagues and they've never been able to compete with the NFL. Did, did you watch the arena stuff? Was it was that I, I used to catch it because the times I was coming in the states predominantly was around WrestleMania time. So obviously the NFL season was finished yeah. quite, quite a number of, number of weeks before that. But the arena football seems to be a thing. But that's gone away as well, I believe. Now, what, what was that like? Was that any good? It was it was good and entertaining. It was a different brand of football. I didn't enjoy it as much, but I did watch it. We had uh, some come through here in, in Oklahoma City. It was. In ter- it, some of the pros was that if you wanted a, a shorter match and a more lively match, you know, uh, some people like that. It was, it was very high scoring, very offensive. Uh, not offensive as an objectable. It was a lot of yeah, off- yeah. a lot of points were scored. That type of offensive. So uh, it was interesting. It just some folks liked it just as well, but it just never caught on. Again, yeah. I, I mentioned before the previous podcast. In Oklahoma, you cannot compete against the two universities. They're just, yeah. it's, it's, they're, they're considered to be as popular as any professional team. Some, some people accuse them of being professional, which would be illegal. So, <laughs> you know, coaches buying players, that kind of thing. But yeah, but, yeah. I'm sure there's probably some odd things that, go, that goes on, like it does, it does in all sport. But I, I guess that the thing with the thing with not to go too too much onto football rather than wrestling, but I guess the thing with football is that the, the season is relatively short um, compared with other major sports in, I guess, your sports and also sports other other words. So everyone, everyone's sort of thinking, well, there must be a, you know, there must be something we can plug in here to to, to extend that with another league. But I, I always think that, and you, you tell me what you think about this, but I always think that the, the thing that is is a bit different in American sports you don't really get here is is the franchise system. So you have um, a team that's been in the city for forever and they move, they, they up sticks and move to a, a different place. And then it seems to me from an outsider that the the people in that um, that city get behind that team. Like the, um, the is it the Golden Knights in, in Las Vegas that like the ice hockey team. Um, yeah. So they, I don't know if they were they moved from somewhere or not, but they, they they won the Stanley Cup, didn't they? I think recently, and it seems like they're a big a big deal. But I, that that is a, that is very unlike what we have. We did have one soccer team that moved, um, and they're widely sort of hated by football in general because it's just not it's not considered a thing that that sort of happens. But the, the thing that I think that new leagues struggle with is that. If you've got, especially for areas that have got, like, like say, let's say a strong college team or a strong pro team, I'm not sure how you get the people emotionally invested in. Because sport at its, at its purest and at its finest is when you, people are, emo- like wrestling is, when people are emotionally invested in the outcomes. But if you don't know the teams and they've got no history, that's the bit that I would always struggle to get my head around. It's, 
you know, for years that didn't happen very often. And we would go decades. And I can remember as a youth reading the history of different sports leagues, baseball and football, and oh, the the this one baseball team, the Dodgers, so they used to be in Brooklyn, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Absolutely. we went so many decades. Well, then as a teenager, it was a in the we had the uh, Baltimore Colts was part of the NFL and yeah. Baltimore for decades. And then in the dead of the night, it was about 84, they moved. They didn't tell anybody the move was coming. They cleared it with the league, but there was no publicity. Nobody knew it was happening. And they packed up all their semis, all their equipment. They moved in the dead of the night to Indianapolis. And I'm telling you, there was almost riots in the street. Um, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It, it, it was really, really strange when they did it. And then, you know, another team would do it. And then now we've got teams that seem to move over a few years, like St. Louis Rams and Arizona, St. Louis Cardinals, Arizona Cardinals. You know, they just seem to move around more. And, and the just, Rams have gone again now. now they, they've, are they gone back to L.A. now? The Rams have gone back and... It's the Raiders. The Los Angeles Raiders are moving to Las Vegas this year. They're building a new oh, stadium. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, so yeah. The Los Angeles Raiders are moving to Las Vegas. The thing of it is, people, you're asking, it's hard to get, is it hard to get people emotionally involved? They're, they're just so excited to have a team come to town, they jump on it. Yeah. They're fans. Yeah, I guess. And, and that's the big difference from, from the States to here, is that everywhere here... I mean, I don't know how many professional football teams there are in London. Off the top of my head, maybe eight, perhaps more. Wow. Everywhere, everywhere has a football team. So actually, this you, you have got a few new towns that, that probably wouldn't, but you'd have one. You'd have a, you'd have a football team within within at least at, at most 40 or 50 miles. I can't imagine there's too many places in the country that haven't got. If you if you suck a pin somewhere, you'd have you'd have a, you'd have a team in the foot in the four tiers of professional football. Because oh. the thing is, you've got. You got a Premier League with 20 teams, and then and then three leagues below that with 24 in each. So there's a huge number. So that's the difference. I, I can imagine if if I was living in Manchester or something, and, and let's say uh, you know, ice hockey was a massive deal here, and it became a massive deal, and it had been here for sort of 15, 20 years, and you'd watch it, etc. Then all of a sudden you've got a team. I can I can I can see that really. We have, as I said, a, a, in a state of three million people, I would have to drive. If any of the four directions, I'd have to drive 300 miles to find a professional football team. Dallas, yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. And I, I guess is that, is that why the university game is the college game is so big there? Because that, I guess there's more, a lot more university teams than there are um, pro teams. That's half of the other half is because over the 50s, the 60s, and 70s, they were so dominant. Just they were beating all the major universities around the country, and they still do. It's just because they were so good and won so many national championships. For most colleges that never won, well, you know, there's 130 major universities in our league, 130, that play for that Final Four spot and then the national championship game. And whereas Oklahoma's won it seven times and been there a dozen times, most colleges have never even been within smelling distance of it. So, so the I'm going to – go, go ahead, Phil. I just, I've got a question for you in this. That's because they're just so successful. That's why they're so popular. Yeah. So, so, so I, um, I used to watch a fair bit of NFL, um, probably 10, 10 or so years ago. Unfortunately for us, it's on a little bit of an unsociable evening, being um, Sunday nights, especially if you've been watching sort of our our football all day. 
And so just, just explain to me, um, I know we're going off on a major, major non-wrestling tangent here, but I'm, I'm interested. How does the college system work in terms of who wins the overall, whatever the title is called, let's say in, in American football, how does that work for, um, you know, who gets there and who, who is the national champion at the end of that? How, how does that actually work? Well, you're touching on a, a subject here that's got a lot of controversy in the States. Okay. And it's hotly debated, and there's changes to it every few years. Up till the uh, just a, a decade or so ago, there was no absolute no playoff system whatsoever. Okay. Okay. So here's the way it worked for years, and we called it the mythical national championship because you have different major conferences, and and you play your team will play all the other schools in your conference just once uh, this year it's home next year it's away and so you've got uh, in the in the deep south you know the sec and then you got the big 12 this is the big eight when i was a kid and then the big team big 12 up north you've got you know michigan and ohio and ohio state and all those are a, a league up there and then you got all the california teams in the league what they would do is they'd play out their regular season and then you'd have what they call bowl games. and Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I heard of that, yeah. Match, they match. We have the Orange Bowl, the Peach Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl being, you know, the oldest and the biggest. Now they all have commercial names attached to them. But the bowl committees would select two teams that had never played each other to come play. So now you got... You know, 50, 60 teams play, and they all play. And at the end of that, then you had a couple of different polls. We we had the the sports writers poll, and the you know, we had the Associated Press poll, and it was just a voting system, and they would vote. Okay. And at, after the bowl games were over, they would vote, and then they were got the most votes. They were the national championship. They were the national champion. Uh, wow. A while back, we added a. Uh, small playoff system now you basically get voted in uh to a team of, of four around the country they'll take the top four mm. it's almost always based on win-loss record but inevitably there's someone that gets left out there, there's someone that was undefeated uh and maybe they're not got to get in against the team that's got one loss but it's based on the team that had one loss is in a big league that played a lot of good opponents for the team that didn't get in, played a lot with your opponent. So it's still subjective. Even though we got it down, it's still a, a subjective process. Mm. That's it is the only, even the second division of college football, they've got a major playoff system, you know, with the number of 16 teams or whatever that go into a bracket, just like uh, our college basketball system. At the end of the college basketball year, we throw 64 teams into a bracket and let them play it out. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what Division yeah. one college football is the only known sporting system in the world that doesn't have a true playoff system. And it's been that way for decades. We just, yeah. So that's how that works. And it's not off topic too much because you'll notice both Jim Ross and Bill Watts often mention football. They use football terms, football analogies, and they always let you know when someone played professional or college football. And yes. Yeah. Credibility. Yeah. They use it for credibility purposes. Yeah, so, Jim Ross is, is very hot on that, isn't he? Which, which I like, actually. I think the um, the legitimate sporting backgrounds of these guys really does add, add a lot, I believe. 
Jim Ross goes to every single Oklahoma Sooners football game, home or away. You always see him on the sideline standing near the head coach. Always. Yeah. I hope he's going to be he's going to be okay because I know he was he wasn't on AEW this week. Um, I think sort of age and, and obviously some underlying health issues. So I'm sure it's um you know it's it's pretty pretty scary times for our sort of older population really. And um, actually just to go back on one thing, I I I've just got to correct myself about the number of fo- football teams in London. So we've got a population of about 8.9 million. We've got 12, 12 professional football teams in London, and five of those are in the top flight, five in the Premier League. Wow. Um, and I think I think at least three are in the division below that and um, so yeah that's that's why it's very very different here but I'll tell you what um how many let me ask you like one yeah, of your ahead, first, <clears throat> during a given week during the peak of the season how many games do they play so okay so the so the the way that it works here is that saturday at 3 p.m is the, is the traditional football time so okay. you'll get um and, and actually there's, there's a rule in in the uk that no, no football can be broadcast live at 3 p.m on saturday which is a, which is a measure it's always been that way um and it's a measure to make sure that people go and see it live yeah. so you'll get so premier league's got 20 20 teams um, and uh, the, the three divisions below have got 24 each. So typically, there'll be a live Premier League game in, on the, in the morning at about 12.30 our time, and then one at 5.30, and then you'll get about six games on, at 3 o'clock that are non-televised. Um, and then you'll get two or three on the Sunday, or maybe one or two on Sunday, and depending on how many televised games there are over the weekend, uh, will be less 3 o'clock. But in, division, in, the cha- in the Championship, which is the league below the Premier League, the, uh, League 1 and League 2, predominantly most of their games will take place at 3 p.m. on a Saturday. So typically you'll have probably 10 or 11 games in each of those divisions. So realistically on a Saturday, you've probably got 36 or so um, professional football games happening in, in the UK at any, any week. And then we have quite a lot of midweek games as well. So most most weeks, those leagues underneath the Premier League will be playing either Tuesday or Wednesday night as well. And that, and that goes on from... Uh, middle of August to the start of May, and we, then there's some playoffs for promotion and relegation, etc. From, from uh, the teams going up to the Premier League, that because obviously that's a key difference. There are there is some movement through the through the ladders in our okay. in our professional sports. But yeah, it's not you, there's there's literally a TV show that on our on our um, on our Sky Sports news channel, which is, is I guess akin to sort of an ESPN news type thing on a Saturday. They can't show any footage. It's just four guys sitting sitting there. With the, with the scores coming in, and they 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 can see what's happening, and they just talk sure. about it. It's one of the most popular pop, popular shows on on, <laughs> ca- on you know cable satellite television here, and it's just no it's no football in it. It's just them talking and showing the scores. So um, but I, I go I go. They're obviously, all football suspended at the moment. I'm um, a Fulham supporter. So I think we touched on it. So I tend to I've got I go to all the home games, probably ten or eleven away games a, a season where you're traveling all over the country on trains and stuff. It's quite good fun. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's pretty, it's very. I mean, cricket's quite big, rugby's quite big as well, but nothing, nothing compares to football here in terms of it's just right. just intrinsically part of our society, really. Um, right. But yeah, so that's 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 what I usually. It's very sad at the moment. I, I took my mum is suffering the most because she she watches more football than anybody. Oh. Um, I, I thought growing up that all women like sport, but it's just just my mum really. But she's 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 missing it. I don't think she's worried about being at home. She's worried about no sport. Sadly. It is a tough time to be quarantined. It really it is. It is. It really is. And there, there is still some wrestling going on. Uh, actually, just before we go on to think, what have you? I mean, WrestleMania. I don't know if you, you've caught, uh, been keeping up with what's been going on with this, but but WrestleMania has been taped now for next weekend. Um, what do you have any thoughts on on on, on their decision making to sort of push on with with a show of some description behind closed doors? 
Yeah, I don't. Um, it just tapes, but did did they tape it with? Well, there's, was there no audience? Did the matches go on? Is that what we're? Is that what I heard? Yeah. So we're we're talking. Uh, they, they've they're going to split over two nights. Uh, no one knows which matches are which night. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, there's no audience at all. Just there. just this morning, I saw a, a clip from Ric Flair addressing it. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. He, he, they wanted him to participate somehow. I don't know how, but you know, obviously, having Ric Flair at WrestleMania would, would, would draw something. So. He said, you know, he's sitting out in front of his house and he's uh, addressing this. And he said, uh, you know, I've spent my whole life pretty much, and this is my paraphrase, doing the wrong thing or making bad decisions. Yeah. He said, but the, uh, he said, this time just decided that I'm not attending, I'm not going, can't be a part of it. Uh, I feel like I need Good to on him. stay home. Good yeah. on him, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've got a guy in Roman Reigns who... Um, and again, spoiler alert coming up, if you're a big WWE fan um, and you don't want anything to do with WrestleMania spoiled, I would fall, I would skip on about a minute. Um, but they've got a guy called Roman Reigns who has, has twice come back from leukemia, so is immunosystem compromised. Um, and he was supposed to be facing Gold, Bill Goldberg for one of their world titles. And actually, it seems from news that's come out in the last couple of days that he, he was there and didn't feel comfortable with the number of the wrestlers of, of, of fallen ill he wasn't comfortable with the situation he's dropped out of the event and it seems like he's made the decision it's like i just think sometimes vincent man has, has lived a life of making a lot of good decisions but but for every good decision he's made especially in the last 10 or 15 years he's made a hell of a lot of bad decisions yeah. and i just think is there is there any clamoring for this event behind closed doors i've, I've watched quite a lot of empty arena wrestling over the last couple of weeks AEW did a good job last uh, not the event has just gone the one the week before. This week was a very nothing show, and it's not their fault. Wrestling's supposed to be in front of fans. I mean, I think you could probably have a tennis match or something with, with no fans there. I've seen a few empty arena football matches where, um, yeah, uh, you know, especially in internationals where where an international side is is is, is banned from fans because their fans have misbehaved or something, and that's a very odd watch. I just think wrestling's right at the bottom of things that can work with no fans. I just think they should have cancelled it um, and just press pause, have Raw and SmackDown with old with old footage. But yeah, very bizarre, really, what's what's going on. And I think that what the worry for everyone is, no one really knows when this is going to be, um, when life is going to return to some degree of normality. Um, I don't even know, but Japan, some of the smaller smaller promotions in Japan actually started back up again this week. Um, so their big women's promotion, Stardom, ran a show at Horrible Hall on. Are you, familiar with the, are you familiar with the UFC and Dana White? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So they're, they're looking, they haven't announced where they're going to hold that fight, but they're looking to do something next week, uh, two weekends' time, aren't they? Yeah, so I've now watched, oh, a week or two ago, probably been two weeks ago, they had a, a major event without any, hardly anyone there, you know, just trainers. Yeah. And, assistant you know so didn't have the crowd there and it, it did have a very different feel to it but it's something that can go on like you said wrestling and certain sports just really need the crowd interaction yeah absolutely i, I just think i i i mean vince himself is 70 isn't he i mean i i just think it's just it's just a bit bit nuts but anyway we'll uh, we'll skip away from the problems of today's uh, modern wrestling and move forward with uh, our look at the April 14th, 1984 episode of Mid-South Wrestling. Um, so Boyd Pierce once again opens a show from ringside. Um, do you remember? So this is a new thing here. So Pierce is down at ringside for the opening of the show. Um, but I hadn't, I think 
the last week was the first time we did this. But was this something that you you remember? Because um, this is a bit of a departure from the usual cutting at the desk to commentators, etc. Well, over the years we have seen both Reeser Bowden and and Boyd play the different roles. They move around. You know, maybe if, if maybe Reeser was off that week or taking care of something else, it, it wasn't too unusual at all because over the years Boyd had had, had done it all. Uh, yeah. In ring, ringside, interviews, television interviews. No, done done part of it all. So it so wasn't that Jack. Unusual. Jack of all trades, really, um, Mr. Mr. Pierce. Um, so he confirms that this week it's Terry Taylor versus Kosha Khrushchev for the Mid-South Wrestling Television title, the Olympic-style ring, and a $10,000 prize. Um, we then get the normal opening sequence and back to the desk where Boyd Pierce, dressed all in white like an angel, I thought, it looked very nice, um, is sat with Jim Ross. Um, Boyd says we're moving into the culmination of the Mid-South TV title tournament. Um, they show the medal, and then they show the winner's check. Um, so Ross says it's going to be a great hour of action, and the tournament started on February the 1st, 1984, and when Terry Taylor beat Buddy Landell in the first match. Um, and Masaito, uh, Masaito he beat as well, and then he had to face Butch Reed, who was ultimately thrown out of the competition. Um, we cut to Jim Ross, and I ha- this is the first time I've seen this um, wooden room. Um, so he says uh, pro wrestling is a lot like a game of human chess. And we're going back in time to February the 29th when Mr. Wrestling 2 and Magnum TA were tag team champions. Let me tell you what. Recap. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I can tell you where that wooden room was. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, yeah, I was about to ask you at the end of this. Where, where is this wooden room? Man? I believe they're uh, based on other things that you'll see in the future when Bill Watts uh, has wrestlers in his home and they're watching wrestling on television. That is. At the time, that was a, a modern ranch look for a home. I'm, I really believe that's inside Bill Watts' personal home. Oh, how interesting! Because it it, it's like a, it's almost like hexagonal, like diagonal, um, just that's wood, just, wasn't it? Really? Yeah. Just paneling on the walls. Back then, it was popular to have wood panel on the walls for a good earthy ranch type feeling. Yeah. Oh wow! Well, it's, oh, I wonder when that because like everything with fashion and haircuts, I wonder when the when the wooden panel looks going to come back. But that's, that's, that's an interesting one. Um, so that, so this starting point really is they recap um, the angle when Mr. Wrestling Two said that he could beat the Midnight Express with anyone. Um, in, in fact, Ross was amusing on commentary here. He describes the person that um, Matt, that Mr. Wrestling Two teamed with as being a non-entity, and that the non-entity was destroyed as expected. Um, they cut to a clip from the angle where Two is beat being beaten down by the Midnight Express before Magnum TA makes a save. And then TA eventually gets his head rammed to the ring post here and busted wide open. Um, so th- this this really all is 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 recapping the, um, the TV title tournament and, and the various things that took place here. Um, so back to Ross, he says that Khrushchev knew that all TV title tournament matches once booked had to happen. Otherwise, anyone that didn't compete would be limited from the tournament. I thought that was quite a nice touch, actually, where they did that tournament. What, what did you think about that? Did to clearly set out that you know, if these guys, for whatever reason, can't compete, then they're out. And they mentioned it more than once. There's other times they yeah. really were pushing the fact that you needed to know that if somebody cannot continue, they leave a forfeit. So yeah, exactly. Uh, so they cut to the match between a bandaged Magnum TA and Kosha Khrushchev, and eventually this led to throwing in the towel while Magnum was reversing out of Khrushchev's submission and Khrushchev advancing the tournament. I thought this was really great at the time. What do you? What are your memories of this? Um, this angle here, where where two threw in the towel. I remember the angle well and at the time, as we spoke before, at this time I was not aware of, we'd only seen the towel thrown in like in boxing 
when a boxer wasn't going down in a in a in a certain match where he's really getting beat up and they were throwing the towel. At this time, I was not aware of that. Um, the oh, having a moment trying to, in in the WWF. Uh, Bob yes. Back, Bob Backlund. Yes. Hit, you yeah. know, if, if somebody, you know, uh, threw in a towel, made it look like his manager threw in a towel. So we weren't aware of that angle. So this was all, this was something new and fresh to us. Now, watching it back, if you'll notice that scene, someone made a, a great effort to show how distraught and, and how emotional that uh, TA was. They want, I believe they directed the, the, official to get out of the ring as quickly as possible. You've never seen a referee get out of the ring that quick. Yeah. And Magnum is sitting in the middle of the ring on his knees, looking at two. It it was a very dramatic moment. And, and they did a good job blocking, you know, uh, you know, setting it up where Magnum TA alone in the ring had looked like he was going to win two throws in the towel, how distraught he looked sitting there on his knees, no one else in the ring. They, they set that up really well. Yeah, I thought this, this is incredibly well done. And, and actually, it, this, this is um, this is quite different from the um, Backland um, thing. The same sort of premise in terms of in terms of tail going in, but that was very much a manager couldn't take any more uh, of Backland in the, the camel clutch from the Iron Sheik and throwing the towel in. So it's kit to protect Backland, and so he didn't right. he didn't have to sort of lose by pinfall or being submitted, which is a very clever way of doing it. Um, and actually, not to skip too far away from this, but they wanted Backlund to turn heel and feud with Hogan, but he refused to do it. And that's what led to him leaving the WWF for, for a long time. Um, but, but here, this is, this, is, this is classic classic stuff. Um, and I think, actually, I, I can't remember where he talks about it, but I went to a, um, a, a, a RevPro show, which is um, a UK promotion that's got links with New Japan. And they had a, a British title match with a guy called Will Ospreay. Um, and Zack Sabre Jr. and they ha- they they teased a towel spot. So at ringside, so Zack Sabre Jr. is a big submission guy, and um, at ringside, Will Ospreay had his old trainers and coaches, and one of them had a towel with him. And oh. you're thinking, why is that towel there? Why is that yeah. towel there? They're gonna, they're gonna do this finish because the storyline all the way through was that Osprey just had never been able to win this title. So you're thinking, you're thinking he's gonna he was he was gonna lose, and that's the way he was gonna lose. But actually, in the end, he just won, and they and they didn't do it. But but because every time he got caught in a submission, it just added added a line. I thought it was a really really nice touch. But I think that that towel that towel spot works. You know, if you've got a, especially if you've got an established number two. Uh, sorry, like a manager, either babyface or heel side, it works. Um, I think that's a, a really good storyline device that can, could be used probably a bit more. Um, back to Ross, he's now recapping the, the angle at the end of the Nikolai Volkov, Hatswitch and Duggan match a few weeks ago. This led to Terry Taylor and the Rock and Roll Express making a save while Duggan was being beaten down by Khrushchev and Volkov. Hacksaw Butch Breed tried to sneak attack Taylor but ended up getting rammed to the steel post. Um, he ultimately decided to, to ask to postpone the match with Taylor in the TV title tournament, faking an arm injury, which ultimately led to him attacking Taylor with a coal miner's glove. Um, the long and short of this was that Butch Reed ended up being thrown out of the tournament. Um, so they do a good job recapping these key angles. Um, I did think this was a little bit long, actually, um, overall in terms of, um, you know, I guess get why they're trying to recap it, but this is about 10 minutes of rehash. Well, what did you think about this segment overall? Yeah, for, for one, I thought it was interesting how they kind of combined two different storylines. You know, you got Terry Taylor running in to save Dugan, and then Butch Reed comes out and attacks 
uh, Terry Taylor. Uh, just yeah. Started, just, you know, how they weave things together. And, and watching back now the episode, it does seem like there is a lot of recap. Makes you wonder what's going on behind the scenes. Is it they didn't have any wrestling to, to show that week? Are they giving people a break? Is it a week off? So there is a lot of recap here. Yeah, I think it's interesting because um, some of the some of the some of the episodes recently have been a bit different in, in that in that respect in terms of I mean I don't know whether they were they were looking at changing their taping schedule or what it was but there's certainly there, there is there is a show uh, I'm trying to think I'm trying to, I'm, I'm muddling some of the shows here but there's the, the the last show I watched last week was very wrestling heavy and that was the one that was um, that was airing the same weekend as the uh, Calvo Bill Watts Stagger Lee. Um, versus Midnight Express matches, so they didn't really have anything they could talk about because obviously yeah. the big angle in the, in the company was still ongoing. Um, but this, this, the, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm saying the fact that they're filming from Bill Watts' home, they're a long, long way from the TV studio. In where did what? Where was Watts uh, located then? Usually, uh, very near Watts. To this day, it still believe still lives in Bixby, Oklahoma, mm. which would be uh, Tulsa. Um, ah, do you know what? I'm sure they said. Actually, now you said that on the late on the next episode. I think they said Mid South Television Studios in Bixby, Oklahoma, and I think studios in inverted commas means Bill Watts's house, doesn't it? I'm sure that you know you said Bixby. I think I think I caught that, but didn't I couldn't didn't know how to spell it, so I didn't note it down. So I think that's exactly what it is, isn't it? That that's that's uh. It's a bit like the ECW TV studios. It was Paul Heyman's basement, basically. Or Paul, right. sorry, I should rephrase that. Paul Heyman's parents' basement, actually. <laughs> right. um, uh, when yeah, I think so, so of uh, TV taping, I think of Irishman McNeil's Boys Club, which I believe was in Shreveport, Louisiana. Yes, yeah. We're talking a 12-hour drive if they drove it. Oh, wow, okay. From Bixby to Shreveport. Yeah, Bill Watts lived in Bixby, but he spent all his time, it seems like, in Louisiana. If you're watching the episodes weekly at that time. So, but they would talk about Oklahoma and, and New Orleans and Tulsa and Fort Worth. So it made it seem like it was a big, big territory. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, but his personal home was in Bixby. And I, I remember a few years ago when I was going back through these matches when I found them online and just used Google to pull up an image. I typed in the address that they give, you know, mail your cards and letters to whatever there in Bixby. And so I went to Google Images and you could see what appeared to be behind the house a, a, a large warehouse type building with a lot of vehicles around it. Mm. Now, I don't know that he still lives there, but there, it was in a neighborhood with large sprawled out houses. And, and then behind it, this one house that was the address was a was large. So maybe they did do some some filming there. Maybe they had some training there. Maybe there's a ring in there. I don't don't really know, but it's interesting. Yeah, no, it, I, 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 I wondered whether he had um, he had like a um, some camera some camera stuff and that, that sort of thing down there and was and was able to shoot some of this stuff. But as you say, I imagine back then this would have been in a, this would have been in a car or something going going to a TV going to wherever they did edit the chip the TV. Um, perhaps they did it there. Maybe maybe that's what maybe that's what it what probably it what they probably probably a studio where they edited and things. You can tell if you yeah. talking about the backdrop of the wood paneling there. The video quality almost isn't as good as the television studio. Uh, it doesn't seem maybe it's lighting. 
or whatever, but it, it feels more like a homemade video if you go back and watch. It's yes, no, I, I agree. Like a like a steady cam type type thing rather than a yeah, I, I do completely agree with that. Um, so after the break, it's finally here. Um, the thing that beautiful cardboard cutout bracket was made for. The Mid-South Television Title Tournament Finale. Um, so in one corner we have Terry Taylor, in the other the traitor, the man that turned his back on his country, Krusha Khrushchev. And um, there's a big reaction to Reza Bowden when he announced what this match is for, which I always thought was really, really great. The crowd sort of really showing that this is a big deal. Um, Khrushchev has a new T-shirt on for the occasion with USSR written on it. Um, and oddly, before, I thought this was a bit strange. So oddly, before the match starts, Reza says that he's like to speak to Taylor at ringside as a special presentation for him. So there's a lady strides forward with a box and says on the mic, Terry, I'd like to present you with these flowers on behalf of Mary and Sue, um, a little girl and another fan who can't be here today. Um, so Terry thanks the lady and then hilariously hands her back the box of flowers, asking her to hold it as he wrestles. Well, what, what did you actually, Joe, I want to skip forward and we'll get your thoughts on this because this, this leads to something. So as Butch Reed approaches Taylor, um, Taylor audibly says, oh man, um, Reed questions what Taylor has done to be the number one contender for the TV title tournament, TV title, and that Taylor hasn't beaten Reed. Uh, Mid South did Taylor a favour for Reed and disqualifying him. Um, Taylor has had enough, steps into the ring, some big cheers, particularly from the female members of the crowd. Um, Reed's, or Reed also turns his back and leaves, but then he's back and he destroys the flowers that Taylor was presented with by smashing them on the apron. And Taylor then goes to the outside um, and looks what's happened to the flowers, and he turns his back slightly on Reed. Um, he catches him and then pile drives him brutally on the outside. Um, and I can only imagine that was absolutely terrifying for Terry Taylor to take on concrete. And Ross speculates that Taylor could be severely injured um, as they cut to a break with two referees checking on him. So what did you think of this, um, this, this whole angle here in terms of, I thought it was a bit strange that the flowers presented the way they were, um, but I guess this was a means to an end. What, what were your thoughts on this, this first bit of this uh, pre-match? What? It wasn't too unusual. I think you kind of knew they're going to get. It seems like any time a wrestler is presented with something, whether it's a very large trophy or, of course, any Indian headdress was normally up for grabs. But yeah, it was a little strange. But uh, we had seen other things similar to this. Wasn't a bit surprised that someone came out and showed flowers. You know. Like I said, if someone wins a, a gigantic, the bigger the trophy, the more likely it is that he was going to come in and destroy it. It's going to be smashed, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so, basically... I noticed uh, when, when, when Reed, uh, when Reed uh, did the pile driver, he was very um, aware of making sure that he, he to turn an angle where the television did the best job catching it. Yeah. First, I, I've been so impressed with Butch Reed. I think he's been, he's been so good in everything I've seen of him. Yes. Yeah, he, he's been great. Um, so after the break, we're back to Reza Bowden in ring, and he says that he's in the dark as much as anyone, and he's not sure whether Terry Taylor will be able to wrestle. Um, then he says he can see Taylor, who comes out with something around his, around his neck, which I think is a neck collar. Um, the bell rings, and they have a fast start with Taylor on top. Um, so Ross says he's not sure Taylor has any business being in the ring right now, given the power driver he's just taken. Um, Taylor throws some really good-looking punches in the corner before hurling Khrushchev across the ring. Um, Khrushchev gets on top for the first time in the match by throwing Taylor into the other corner um, and he crumples on impact, which I thought was a great realistic bump. Um, Taylor is then dropped neck first across the top rope and then hit with another pile driver, this time by Khrushchev. He then gets the win in 228 from the first Mid-South Television champion. And Volkov is out there and they are hugging and it's quite a moment for them. Hacksaw 
Butch Reed is in the ring as well, and he looks very pleased with himself. And what actually Reza bowed and then presents the medal to Khrushchev to check ten thousand dollars, and most importantly, his congratulations. Ross says on commentary that it makes him sick to his stomach to see the medal around Khrushchev's neck. What did you think of uh, this this match here? Yeah, well, at the time, we we really were. So we just knew that Terry Taylor was going to win. You know, we just really believed he was going to win, be the first TV champion. It was quite disappointing. Obviously, they they pulled an angle where he just was up against odds, you know, being injured before that he couldn't win. So, you know, we didn't feel like he got beat. We felt like he got robbed, you know. Uh, yeah. As, as you do with most of the times when a, when a baby face loses an important match, he was robbed. So uh, I thought it was interesting watching back to have Reed come out and celebrate with the Russians, I think that was a push to get more heat on Reed. They're going to build him up. They're going to use him more and more in the future as a heel. And Volkov was the biggest heel at the time. Uh, we That was the most disliked wrestler in the territory at that time, for sure. And to, put, to have Reed come out and celebrate with him, obviously, to me now, it's obvious there he's going to use that to get more heat on Reed. So he was definitely the biggest deal with Volkov. Yeah, absolutely. Was, was Volkov around much longer after this? Can you recall? Uh, at the moment, <coughs> I don't recall. I'd have to think about it, but uh, I don't I don't think so. No, so, so I, I'll tell you what, tell you the reason I ask. So I, I um, just, before, again, just before the world um, sort of ended, I bought um, <laughs> all the Wrestling Observer newsletters from about this time up to just after WrestleMania 1. Um, and actually, interestingly, most, I think I haven't gone through them all in a great deal of detail, but most of them are actually monthly. And, and disappointingly, the Mid-South section is quite small. Um, but they did, they, but Dave Meltzer does talk about, so this was the April issue, so I guess it was everything up to the end of March. Um, but he does talk about Volkov having having moved on. And, he, and also he talks about the mask, uh, the Russian mask guy as well. Um, not being around for too long um, but that's about it and I didn't know whether because obviously you know not everything that he ultimately is in that, in that newsletter by you know I respect for Dave Meltzer massively but obviously any in any journalism sometimes you're going to say something that actually ultimately changes for whatever reason and I did wonder about that about Volkov because Volkov is so central to this um to this promotion in terms of one of the top heels so I did wonder if he was if he was on his way out um I I guess they had to find a way out of the tournament without hurting the babyface here too much. Um, but I must be honest, I didn't really like the fact that Taylor was basically killed on the outside. Um, and they, he still managed to get back in the ring and dominate um, Khrushchev for the first 90 seconds of the match. I think everything after Khrushchev got back on top was great. I thought Taylor's selling of the, the shot in the corner, the crumpling, etc. Um, but I think if you're telling the story of him heroically making it back in only to be beaten, he needs to, I think he needs to prepare to be in worse shape than he was. Because I'm sure that the pile driver was devastating then as it, as it would be like now. If you if you pile drive someone on concrete, then realistically, I think that should, that should be a stretcher job probably. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I must admit, I thought this was an enjoyable tournament overall. Um, and I completely understand why they went this route with the somewhat protecting Taylor. But I just thought maybe this, this could have done with a, a slight tweak. Um but after this, Ross says a little bit of confusion now that the TV title tournament is over um, about what's next. And Grizzly Smith has some shuffling to do, but they are, have some great standby matches. Um, but now they have a pre-taped interview with Bill Watts, and we're back um, in what we believe to be his house. Um, 
the wooden room. And this, I think this is here when they say um, about it being um, Victor the Oklahoma for Mid- Mid-South Television HQ. Um, so uh, just, a, just a question. So when the staggerly Bill Watts um, stuff was happening and Bill Watts was coming out of retirement, I presume that was a pretty big deal um, sort of everywhere locally at the time. Oh, absolutely, Major. Uh, I believe I mentioned before that Cowboy Bill Watson played football for the University of Oklahoma. And, you know, uh, he was involved in the train wreck right here in my town. Bill Watson sit by train uh, in a vehicle. He was a sophomore or junior in college. Uh, so he, he was known uh, before uh, to folks older than me. But, yeah, for him to come back, that was major. Absolutely. Mm. So the the interesting thing about um well, a few interesting things about uh that angle was that they um they had so many matches, but the way that it appeared on television there was going to be a one off, including one at the Superdome. Um, to what says that at one time or another every pro athlete faces retirement. Everyone wonders whether they were grew or had a little bit more to give. Um, and to be in sport, it can't just be for the money. You, ha- you have to have heart in it as well. Uh, he was sad that he lost his temper, um, but when he got knocked out, he had the chance to get that competitive urge out of himself again and to humiliate Jim Cornette. He said he wants to thank everybody in Mid-South area for helping him enjoy the last stampede. He loved every bit of it, and he said thanks for making the last stampede the greatest event of his life. Um, and Watts then says he understands they have some footage of the last stampede. Um, but then they, they then cut to the Rock and Roll Express versus Land Allen Reed from last week, um, which is a little bit confusing. They, this turned into a recap of Cornette pulling the rope down on Robert Gibson. Um, and back to Ross at the desk, and he says that that wasn't what they intended to show. And obviously the tapes will switch, and they'll have to look into what happened. Um, again, they, they explain this a little bit further um, in the next segment. So after the break, Jim Cornette is in ring, and he says to Reza Bowden that it's for the best if he just gets out of his way somewhere, which was funny. Um, the Express are in ring with Cornette already, and he says that people are looking for something. Um, they're looking for the tape of the last stampede. And they're, never, they're never going to see a Cornette embarrassed on Mid-South Television ever again. And they have a roll of what they say is videotape. It looks a bit more like um, a dark roll of sticky tape. Um, but regardless, <laughs> yeah. They, they, yeah, it did, didn't it? I don't think that was tape, but that's uh, fine. I mean, I, I don't blame them. These, those big, ta- big tapes are probably very expensive in 84, so it, this works. Um, so I, I actually thought this was this was absolutely brilliant. So I talked over the last couple of weeks around how very different it was in 1984 to be able to promote a uh, television on a television show one match that actually was 15 of the same matches without really people knowing that fact. Actually, interestingly, I found a clip um, that I tweeted out a couple of days ago, yes. uh, which was some of the local insert promos from Houston. So the Houston version of this match, the Sam Houston Coliseum. But I just think, I mean, this this is this is probably around the era of, of the last sort of times that you could probably have done this. But yes. to say on television, this is the tape, we've destroyed it, you're not going to see it. And the vast majority of people in those areas would either have gone to their match and felt that was the one that was the D1, right. this was it right. kind of thing, or they would have no idea. I just thought it was brilliant. What did you think of the way they handled this? I, I made my notes here before we talked and said the fact that they destroyed the tape kept it a secret that they did this, what, I'll say 15 times. Yeah. Uh, now, I went to, uh, about 10 years ago, I read uh, Bill Watts' autobiography. So I pulled it off the shelf, and I turned to where he addresses this angle. I've got a pu- couple of paragraphs here you might be interested in out of his book. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, great. 
So I'll, I'll read the first paragraph or two, and then I'll skip down, and then I'll read the behind-the-scenes things, what was going on. He said, so by early 1984, we had the Midnight Express, the Rock and Roll Express, and Terry Taylor. Add those guys to the mix of Junkyard Dog, Butch Reed, Magnum T.A., Nikolai Volkoff, and the rest of my crew, and we were really cooking. And then came April and the last stampede. He said, I kept myself out of action for a few years. Instead, I wore the hat of Mid-South President and CEO because I wanted out of the ring and into more of the business side. Jim Ross and Dundee, Bill Dundee, who I had no idea at the time was a booker behind the scenes. Uh, that's my, my note there. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. He, he said, Ross and Dundee, however, were so in tune with the crowd, they realized in addition to these tremendous new pieces of talent we had, that there was a way to make more money by putting me back in the ring on a short-term basis. So then he goes into the angle, explains the angle of the Midnight Express and um, Cornette getting the space shoved in the cave and the different things. Then they come out and they, they attack uh, Watt. You know, um, the next week, Cornette's Midnight Express attacked me while I was conducting interviews, left me in a bloody heat. From there, I had to get my revenge. So I recruited Junkyard Dog back into the mask of Staggerly's by Parkinson. Here, and this is when he kind of talked about some of the behind-the-scenes things. There was an incredible, this was an incredible, successful run of matches. We did a, quote, last stampede, quote, in every major town. And it was pretty much two straight weeks of sellouts, grossing well over $1 million in my small population territory. There incredible. Were also, now, there were also very trying matches because as good as Cornette and the Midnight Express were, JYD definitely had his limitations in the ring. In one match, I kicked one of the midnights so hard I blew out my hamstring. There was nothing as excruciating. It was like an electric shock going through your leg. As you're falling, you try to look around to see what hits you. And then the pain is so excruciating you want to die. I lay there hardly able to move, but I finally worked my way over to the corner where I tagged JYD. Well, he made his big comeback, cleaned house, and then tagged me back in. I couldn't move. <laughs> he forgot I was hurt, and I had to get back in there and get it out. Over the rest of the series, hurt or not, I had to do most of the work. That also oh, fit, yeah. fit in how I wanted JYD portrayed. I never wanted, I never wanted him in a situation where he was getting beaten down for long periods of time. But JYD was having more problems than I fully realized. I knew he was getting high, but I did not know until later he was hooked tremendously in cocaine. Uh, oh, dear, yeah. And I heard that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and it goes on to explain some of the problems with JYD and how, even though he making a lot of money, he loaned him, again, this is 84, he loaned him $10,000 from the company, then also loaned him $10,000 personally and, and, and never got it back. And it goes on to explain. Yeah. You know, um, and he says, around the time of the last that team matches, we really kicked into gear. Dangle was going to take Magnum T.A. over the hump. His coach and mentor, mentor wrestling number two, was going to turn on him, forcing Magnum to defeat the guy who had taught him about being a star. And then he just goes on with more stuff at the time. But I thought that was very interesting. One yeah, that's really, really interesting. I mean, I've got to read this book, yeah. Certainly. But anyway, that was just interesting that the last day. Yeah, that's biggest one of his biggest runs ever that's that's great um uh, well, thank you very much for sharing that that's really interesting that that is on a must i've got um jim ross's first book where he talks a lot about mid-south to, to read and um, hopefully over the next couple of weeks might have some time to actually read some of these uh some of these books but that but the, yeah that, that's really interesting i just think they did they did this so well um 
After the break here, the Midnight Express are up against Josh Stroud and Tony Torres. And Ross's and commentary that right there were the highlights of the last Stampede match they intended to show. Um, and again, obviously, this is really clever the way that they, they did this. Um, Condry is sporting a big bandage on his forehead. Um, Eaton tags in and hits a lovely back elbow and later a superb belly-to-back suplex. Um, scoop power slam from Eaton, but instead of pinning him, he throws his opponent towards uh, Stroud so he can make the tag. Um, Condry then hits Stroud with a beautiful but dangerous brain buster. The Express hit the heart attack before it was the heart attack for the win in 324. Um, total showcase match for the Express here with little or no offence from Stroud and Torres. Um, at the desk, uh, sorry, what did you think of this Express match before we move on? It was, uh, it was something different. It was interesting that they're going to have several matches. Uh, not not surprised at all by the outcome. Everybody knew what was going to happen. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so Ross says that Boyd has been there a lot longer than him, and he's seen a lot of great North American champions. He adds that it's probably the most prestigious title in the world, uh, the rest of the cold. He's representative of the entire of North America, and a lot of great people have held it. He says that the, he says that the way that Junkyard Dog lost the title to Mr. Wrestling was very controversial. Um, he then says that on April the 7th, 1984, in front of over 20,000 fans, Mr. Wrestling defending the title against Magnum TA, and they're now going to show some highlights from that long and grueling match. So this is the first time I've ever seen any Superdome footage from any Superdome shows in the 25 or so episodes that I've watched. Um, and this is the only this is the only venue in the Mid-South area that I have actually visited, um, which was for a WrestleMania a few years back. Um, which I'm sure is the arena's changed. I think it was it was massively refurbished after Katrina, I believe, wasn't it? Um, I think the Superdome. Oh yes, had to be absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is handheld camera footage at ringside, um, and the ring looks very dark. I presume this is just the way that this came off on, on camera. I noticed right over the years uh, that angle, that below the ring level, shooting up, and you can't see any. It's all dark behind the ring. You can't see anything but the two wrestlers in the ring. I think they use it sometimes and used footage from different towns and did not tell you. Oh, well, really? Oh, oh, yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This time they said it's from the Superdome. But they yeah, so, be- so actually, they're, they're almost alluding here that uh, this Superdome match was, was separate from the last Stampede because it, because they didn't want to, I guess they didn't want to allude to the fact that the last Stampede took place in the Superdome. But the kind of number two match in that, presumably, was, was this. That, again, really interesting and and very good promotional tactic here, really. Um, so basically, uh, Mr. Wrestling throws Magnum into the referee and straps a foreign object to his knee for trying to go for his knee lift. Uh, Magnum moves and Mr. Wrestling smashes the referee with it. Magnum fires back and takes the object and puts it on his knee and hits Mr. Wrestling with that big knee lift. Um, Magnum is then attacked by someone in a mask with a great physique who catches Magnum in a backbreaker submission akin to Lex Luger's torture rack. Uh, Mr. Wrestling gets back in the ring at the same time as the ref covers Magnum. Uh, Ross stresses this was a no DQ match. Um, but again, this is a little bit confusing as all of the stuff, the extracurricular stuff, took place with the ref not watching. I think it's the second time they've done that. Um, but again, fine, yes. it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, and they're calling the new masked man Mr. Wrestling 2 and the original Mr. Wrestling 2, Mr. Wrestling. Um, so I had a quick look online for this. I'm sure you, you know already thought this. This was um, Hercules Hernandez uh, playing Mr. Wrestling 2 here. Um, so yeah, so obviously a future WWF star here. Um, can you remember what, what what it was, what the reaction was like to this, you know, absolute muscled up um, guy coming in and playing another version of his character at the time? Yeah, at that time, we had seen very few wrestlers that had that look. At this time, we had yeah. not 
I had not seen Lex Luger, didn't know him, don't think he was wrestling yet. Uh, we had, you know, Butch Reed was similar. Uh, this Hercules Hernandez appeared to be bigger. Tony Atlas, you know, was, was obviously built like this. It was very unique. Now, you know, his appearance now is not that big of a deal. But at that time, he looked like an absolute monster. And I, I remember him, Some I don't remember how, but he eventually continues to wrestle in Mid-South just as, without the mask, it's Hercules Hernandez. Yeah, I believe, yeah. I believe he has a, a, a program with, I think it's Dugan. I think they end up getting into it. So he becomes a, a big heel. He becomes unmasked, I believe, in the future. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Like I said, how can, can you spoil something that happened 30 years ago? Uh, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, but the way Jim Ross was talking about it, narrated it, it made you think some people may have not seen Mr. Wrestling 2 for a couple of weeks like we had. He said, "There's a first for the first time on television, he says, or the first time on camera together, these two masked men. We didn't know who this masked man was, so we saw he had a different colored boots. Or, uh, so that was a little confusing. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, so now we have Magnum CIA actually against Dale Vitti. Um, this week, Magnum is wearing a vest with USA written on it. Um, and once again, he's attacked while taking his vest off. And I really think he should have learned from his mistake the previous week on this. <laughs> just, just take, just don't wear the vest if you're going to get attacked every week. Um, but Magnum soon gets back on top and hits a series of power moves and, and great looking shots, as always. Um, this is over in 45 seconds. Magnum gets the win with his always brilliant belly to belly suplex, which, which is always a highlight. Um, so we move forward quickly, and the champion himself is in action next. Um, still described as Mr. Wrestling 2 on the graphic, which adds some further confusion. Um, actually, no, Mr. Wrestling 2 is in action next, isn't it? I've, I've made a mistake in my notes there. So it, it looked like it was going to be Mr. Wrestling, but actually Hercules is in the match, isn't it, I believe? Um, so Mr. Wrestling, Mr. Wrestling, this is going to be confusing, isn't it, between Mr. Right, Wrestling and Mr. Right, Wrestling 2? Right. Yeah, I, I can only apologise in advance for, for messing this up. <laughs> Um, so Mr. Wrestling grabs the mic and he says that everyone has been waiting to see the man he has been training for two years. He has bigger arms and a bigger chest than Magnum T.A. and most important of all, he's loyal. He reaffirms that he is now Mr. Wrestling and the other guy is Mr. Wrestling 2. So the new Mr. Wrestling 2 is up against Joseph Aldi. Um, I thought he looked great here. So he's light on his feet, good on offense. Um, so he actually actually been working in Mid-Atlantic just before this under a different mask. Um, as one of the assassins, and he lost a hair versus mask match in Mid-Atlantic to Jimmy Valiant just a couple of weeks before this aired um, in Columbia, South Carolina, and they repeated that match three further times um, before he was predominantly working in Mid-South going forward. Um, thank you to cagematch.net for those facts. Um, Mr. Wrestling 2 catches Tavoldi in his backbreaker submission and outcome for Magnum TA, and after a quick flurry, they both start beating Magnum down. Stagger Lee, to a great reaction from the crowd, makes a save, and Magnum and Lee take over before the two Mr. Wrestling decide to head to the back. Um, Stagger Lee and Magnum shake hands, and that is the end of the, the match. So Ross says that next week, a lot of great things are going to happen. The Midnight Express are putting the tag team titles on the line, and Crusher Khrushchev will be putting his TV titles on the line. Um, I thought, I, I didn't, I, I've touched on sort of what, what I did with Taylor. I thought that perhaps should have been done a little bit differently, um, but they protected the Stagger Lee and Watts matches really nicely, gave you an out as to why the footage didn't air. Um, the addition of the new Mr. Wrestling was an interesting twist, and they are keeping Magnum really strong going for the title as well. So what did you think of this um, April 14th, 84 episode overall? Seems like I remember some of the uh, kayfabe magazines referring to him as Mr. Wrestling 3 at times to avoid confusion. Yes, and they, he is on cagematch.net as well, actually. So they, they, they refer to him as both, um, because I, th I think for, for that exact reason, yeah. 
But overall, it was, it, again, so much going on in the territory. It was a very interesting uh, episode. Uh, always yeah, enjoyable. I, yeah, always enjoyable. Great, great angles and stuff. Um, Phil, thank you so much for um, joining me today. Um, and we're, we've got the pleasure of speaking again very soon because we're going to do the April 21st and four episode as well. So I look yeah. forward to speaking to you very, very soon. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please head over to iTunes where you can subscribe and perhaps you'll even be kind enough to leave me a lovely five-star review, which would absolutely make my day. If you're interested in guest hosting, please contact me via the Mid-South Moments Twitter account, which is at MidMoments, and I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon.